Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Welcome to episode two of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your co-hosts for today. In today's episode, we're going to go through eight steps to put together for planning for electric vehicles. Yeah. So just to provide a little bit of background, uh, we're going to be talking primarily about plug-in electric. So there's plug-in electric and there's hybrid. Hybrid being that it also uses uh, some gas power for um for operations such as a Prius, but we're going to be talking about fully electric plug-in. Um, also, some recent updates is President Biden has pledged to replace all gas-powered vehicles within the federal fleet, which is about 645,000 vehicles with electric. Uh, he's also supporting the restoration of the federal tax credit for buying EVs, which had a substantial impact, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And then I know uh, Georgia also had a state credit. And I think Georgia was actually one of the leading states for EV um, sales in the nation at one point. Uh, further, um, the administration is spending billions of dollars to add 550,000 electric vehicle charging stations across the U.S. by 2030. And that's about 13 times what is available now. That's amazing. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's a huge investment. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, this this administration is really focused on climate change and sustainability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some other facts and figures for you uh, for auto manufacturers, the big three. So GM recently announced that they're going to be offering 30 new EVs globally by 2025. That's only four years from now. And they also hope to only sell electric vehicles by 2035, which I think is a very bold statement and uh, um, a big step for General Motors. Yeah, that was a big deal ripple effect heard across the world when they announced that recently. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, to, to that point, you know, Ford had made an, an announcement a while back that they were going to be offering, um, 40 new electrified vehicles. 16 would be fully electric by 2022. But the latest is that they've announced that they're actually going to invest $29 billion, which is pretty equal to what, uh, GM is investing. I think they're investing 27 billion towards electric and autonomous vehicles through 2025 and 22 billion of that is going to be specifically for EVs. Um and then by 2025 all new Toyota and Lexus models will offer hybrid and electric options and Volkswagen intends to have 40% of its global fleet electrified by 2030. So the private auto manufacturing industry is once again leading the charge in this endeavor. We mentioned that for the autonomous vehicles, yeah, but they're really kind of driving the trend towards electrification. Yeah. Um, so drivers to change 
uh, are decreasing costs in electric batteries and increasing um, range. So I think what really what this means is that because batteries are costing less, they can go farther. And now you have more electric vehicle charging stations uh, with potentially 550,000 more um, over the next several years. Uh, people's anxiety about electric vehicles are changing. They they feel a lot more comfortable that they're not going to be stranded on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's something that I've thought about that I've been hesitant about getting an electric vehicle is the amount of driving that, well, I used to do mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. Um, I couldn't get through a day without having to find a charging station. And, and that really terrified me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the that's really the only reason why when I purchased a new vehicle a few months ago, I had always thought that my next vehicle would be an electric vehicle. But I had decided, you know what, I'm going to wait for the next one because there wasn't enough EV charging infrastructure out there yet for me to feel good and to reduce my range anxiety. I always think about, okay, I may not drive that much during the day here, but what about when I want to take road trips are there enough EV charging stations along the way on my road trips? And and that's where things are heading. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that's a big source of my range anxiety. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so finally, just on the background, uh, don't want to leave out the shipping side or the freight side. Uh, but Amazon said in 2019 that their electric vans will start appearing on the roads by 2021. So this year. And Amazon expects to have 10,000 of the new electric vehicles on the road by 2022 and 100,000 by 2030. So this trend is crossing both private vehicular ownership as well as uh, fleet ownership. Yeah, and I've already seen UPS have at least some hybrid uh, vehicles out there. I don't think they're completely EV yet. I'm not sure, but I know that they've been doing a lot as well. Yeah. And, and the last thing that I'll just kind of mention on this, on this topic is, uh, transit vehicles are moving in this direction mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of testing and pilot projects on low and no emission buses, mm-hmm. um, and going to full battery powered, uh, buses with overhead electric or, um, charging stations at, uh, some of the transit stations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do we think are some of the potential impacts that this may have on the public? I think first and foremost, like we mentioned earlier, um, less combustion vehicles, combustion engine vehicles on the road will help with reduced emissions, uh, improved air quality, um, increased health of uh, residents and employees in an area. Um, it'll certainly help with slowing down climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so those are those are some good things. But what about maybe electrical power grid stability? I don't know how much power these vehicle charging stations pull. I don't know that it's enough to really have an impact on the power grid. But I think, you know, with the recent Texas power outages Mm -hmm. and rolling power power outages that happen across the nation due to various um, reasons, that is something that we as planners want to make sure we're not uh, adversely impacting. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we talk about some ways to do that later. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that, you know, is is a challenge is that these electric vehicles will no longer require motor fuel. And a lot of transportation funding comes from motor fuel taxes. So what other methods are out there generating funding to help maintain and improve the transportation system for all of the users. I know that some have uh, flat fees for electric vehicles. Um, some may have dynamic feeing uh, based on the weight of the vehicle. Um, so those are some things that need to be considered as well. Will gas stations become obsolete over time? Uh, what kind of impact does that have on the communities, um, the economy? Uh, similar with parking. Will parking trends change? What will happen to parking and availability? What will happen with demand for charging stations and parking? Um, and, and that could have a monetary impact as well. And then finally, we need to always think about equity. So what about people that can't afford EV charging systems or live in uh, multi-occupant dwellings such as apartment complex that may not have all enough EV charging stations, how do we ensure that nobody is being left behind? So those are some things that Kelly's going to kind of mention in her in the eight steps a little bit later on, uh, but just kind of wanted to get our audience thinking about really what kind of impact EVs could have on our society. So today, we're going to talk about what can be done as planners as it relates to EV charging infrastructure. So let's first talk about the types of chargers. Uh, so these are also referred to as electric vehicle supply equipment. We'll just refer to them as EV charging stations. <laughs> um, so there's level one, level two, uh, DC fast. And level one is kind of the basic. Um, it The charger is included with the car. It plugs into a standard 120-volt outlet. Um, it charges two to five miles in range for every hour and is primarily used for overnight charging at home. Then there's a level two, which is, we'll call it the um, midsize option. Um, <laughs> it's, it's sold separately from the car, uh, but you can purchase it at the same time. It's a little more complicated setup. You'll probably have to get an electrician to come out and install a 240 volt outlet in your garage. That's similar to what your dryer uses. Um, and it will charge 10 to 20 miles for every hour of charging. Um, they have, uh, a, a special connector that connects to certain make and models of vehicles. Um, and you'll typically find these at home and in garages. And uh, most of the public charging stations that are out there are level two now. Yeah. And I would just add, Kirsten, that with these level twos and the connectors, um, these are more universal uh, where they can apply to or be used for multiple different types of electric vehicles um, and not be necessarily specific to, say, only Teslas, for example. Right, right. 
So the last one is our luxury model. It's the DC <laughs> Fast. Um, it'll charge 50 to 70 mile range in just 20 minutes. Um, it's the fastest, but it's not universal. Yeah. So this does not fit all cars. There are three types of connections, um, including Tesla. And this is typical for heavy traffic corridors. So they are available publicly, but you're going to find them, you know, off the interstate and in places where you get a lot of uh, heavy traffic. Yeah, I want this charger to yeah. help me with my range anxiety when I go on a long distance trip. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, they're also the priciest, just like any yes. luxury model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, so you can get more information about the charging stations, and we're going to include a link in the show notes, but it's uh, evolution.es.anl.gov. All right, so let's transition a little bit and talk about what is our role as transportation planners. Our role is that we plan for the future. And I think we've mentioned this before, you know, we're kind of that crystal ball Uh, We can't predict it all, but we use a lot of information, a lot of data to try to project what might happen in the future and try to understand what disruptors may be coming uh, that could impact that future outlook. Um, So we try to use this information to inform and educate people on new and emerging trends and what this could mean for different communities. Uh, So we always want to include a vision, policies that help support whatever topic we're talking about, in this case, EVs, investment decisions. So how are you getting a return on investment? What's the best bang for the buck? Uh, And related to that, what kind of funding is out there that could support um, this initiative? Are there federal funding uh, grants that might be available? And the answer is yes. Um, is there state funding? Are there tax credits? So thinking about all the ways that you can leverage your funding, whether you're a city, a county, or a state government, um, or even a, a private entity that's looking to uh, install EV charging stations. We also want to always think about being inclusive and equitable. I was about to say exclusive, but that is quite the opposite <laughs> yes, of what yes. we were trying to do. <laughs> inclusive and equitable. Mm-hmm. And that whatever you are trying to accomplish, in this case, EVs, um, that you're trying to be economically competitive. So how do you implement a strategy that is going to support your economy? And that's really where you can start to build some uh, really good relationships, leverage your funding through partnerships. Uh, But we'll talk more about that in um, a a later episode about uh, economic impacts and return on investment for transportation. Mm -hmm. So, Kelly, why don't you uh, dive right into the eight steps to planning for electric vehicles? I know the moment everyone's been waiting for, I'm sure. Um, But we do feel it's really important to provide context before we start right into these. It's it's helpful for you guys to know why we picked this topic, you know, what's driving it, how we can help as planners and what the impacts are to the community. And I can tell you that um, I really do think you guys will find these eight steps helpful because right before this call, I was talking to one of our planners here at Modern Mobility Partners 
because we are just about to um, embark on a very similar analysis for one of our clients. And I said, here, take these eight steps and start with this, you know, and kind of walked him through it. And he was like, this is so helpful. So I'm hoping that everyone else finds it helpful too. So let's get on with it. Step one, as always, know what you have. Conduct an inventory of your current EV charging infrastructure locations first. Um, I should note that a lot of times you'll hear EV charging stations and outlets used interchangeably, but they are different. You can have one station that has multiple outlets. So keep that in mind. Um, one of the data sources that I have found to be extremely helpful is from the Department of Energy, USDOE, and they have an alternative fuels data center that's at afdc.energy.gov. And included there is what they call their alternative fueling station locator. So it has not only electric vehicles, but also other alternative fueling stations, but you can check off what all you want to include. So there's lots of ways to filter the information. You can filter it by fuel type. And then within EV charging stations, you can fuel, uh, filter it by level one, two and DC fast. Uh, the station types that Kirsten walked through earlier. Now I will say that, uh, it's really a public station locator, which is what we want as planners. So you're really not going to see many, if any, level ones, but you'll see level twos in DC fast. And you'll also find that there's a lot more level twos than there are DC fast for the reasons we talked earlier about one of them being cost um, and interoperability. So currently, if you look at this station locator, you can slice and dice it all different ways and look at the nation as a whole, but then also look at by state and um, by cities. And so in the nation as a whole, we see that there are 40,000 EV charging stations in the U.S. And of those 40,000 stations, there's 100,000 outlets that are available to the public. So, you know, President Biden was talking about adding 550,000 more stations. Um, you know, that's about 13,000 or excuse me, 13 times what we have now. So that it would be exponential impact. You can also filter by the connection type. So we talked about how one connector type, the SAEJ1772, uh, is the one that you would select that's most universal. Uh, you can include, the, they have the location, the latitude and longitude coordinates in there so you can map all this you can export it all to a spreadsheet or it's also already in a map form in their dashboard and you can even get the api information embed a link on your website that goes to the database so they're very transparent and it has all this great information on there the other thing that they have in there is you can look at the corridor tool and see if a corridor meets the 50 mile threshold to be federally designated and branded as an alternative fuel corridor by the Federal Highway Administration. And if you want to find out more about that program, you can go to altfueltoolkit.org. Step two, um, know what you need and understand equity implications so that you can understand where there might be gaps in your current EV charging infrastructure. So currently, 
about 80% of the EV charging is done at home. And because of that, we think it would be good to have an understanding of where your low-income communities are and even your multi-occupant dwellings. Because as Kirsten mentioned earlier, these multi-occupant dwellings, it's harder to get EV charging stations there. You think about it, if you live in an apartment that you rent, it's going to be hard to, one, uh, be able to use it if they have it, if there's only, say, one and there's a lot of EV cars, and two, just get it installed in the first place. So if you know where the multi-occupant dwellings are and you can perhaps maybe develop some or recommend some incentives for property owners or managers to install those those EV charging stations there, maybe a level two, that would be great. So understanding where those are, because what we don't want to do is leave behind anyone in this electrification of our transportation system. We want to make sure that if someone can get an EV car, as those become more affordable, that they have also access to EV charging. So you can get some sources of more information from that same USDOT Alternative Fuels Data Center specific to multi-occupant dwelling units. So if you go to that afdc.energy.gov slash fuels slash electricity charging multi, and again, the full website link will be in our show notes, uh, you can find more information there. You also want to understand the demand for EV charging stations. And the USDOE also has a tool that they call EV Pro Lite. That's for their electric vehicle inventory. And this tool is so awesome. I was so, I'm such a data nerd. When I found this, I was like, oh, this is a gold mine. This is great. Because with this tool, you can look at, first of all, it tells you what the percentage of light duty vehicle cars on the road in your area are that are electric. And then you can add in, okay, if that percentage increases to X amount, this is the number of charging stations you need by type. It's awesome. So it tells you what your gap in demand is. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that 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 existed. I know. I didn't either until I started preparing for this episode. I was like, this is awesome. See, and there you go. We as planners are still learning every day. So while we don't have all the answers, we have a place to get started. Exactly. Now, one caveat I will say with this tool is that currently it's capped at 10% of total vehicles or light duty vehicles are electric. So it doesn't allow you to put in more than 10%. So if you're looking at what if in the future there's 30 or 50% electric vehicles, it doesn't have that. However, what we're what we were talking about doing is, OK, let's get some rules of thumb or multipliers and see if we can just say, OK, if it goes to 10 percent, is it a straightforward multiplier compared to, say, 1 percent? And if so, we can just use that same multiplier for different percentages in the future. So you can say, OK, if it goes to 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, this is what we need and this is our gap. So it's a really cool tool that you can take even further if you want. So that's exciting. That then leads me to step three, which is develop EV opportunity zones, or you can call it something else. But right now we're calling them EV opportunity zones. And that's where you can offer incentives to encourage installation of fast charging stations and activity centers 
And then maybe those level two charging stations and multi-occupant dwellings and or developments in low-income communities. And that can be easier said than done. But if we as planners can recommend where those opportunity zones should be and then educate the cities and the counties and the state on these opportunities and the implications, I think that could go a long way. And it would probably be easier to get done at the city and county level where you might have a little more influence and then, um, you know, ultimately potentially at the state level as well. Now, one of the things, you know, we talked about this earlier, Kirsten, about the electrical power grid, right? Uh, there is some information out there that says typical uh, electricity that's used for different station types, but it varies by car. Um, and I also believe like the level of the charge and stuff. But if you have all of these electric vehicles coming into play that weren't there before, if they're all charging at the same time, uh, they are going to have an impact on the electrical grid. So as part of these incentives, we can also incentivize folks to charge during off-peak charging times, like overnight. So maybe it's cheaper to charge overnight than it is during the day. So if it's a public station and it's at an activity center, maybe you, you know, during nighttime hours in the activity centers, maybe it's a little cheaper to charge or the power companies can do cheaper rates at night versus during the day. There's all different ways you can do that. Another way to offset that impact to the electrical power grid is to consider solar powered EV charging stations as well. So when possible, I think that's a good idea as well. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it seems like step two and step three are kind of intertwined. So mm -hmm. you can pair your opportunity zone with those gaps that you identify or and or based on the demand of electric vehicles in a certain area using that tool that Kelly mentioned. Certainly. I agree 100 percent. The other thing that I found, another gold mine gem, and I got to tell you, so as transportation planners, historically, we've always gone to USDOT, the United States Department of Transportation, for a lot of our resource information. But when it comes to electric vehicles, the U.S. Department of Energy has done so much stuff, and they have so many resources out there online that are publicly available. I was so happy to find all this great information. Uh, so in that same USDOE Alternative Fuels Database Center at afdc.energy.gov, on the laws section, they actually have a database of all the laws and incentives by state. And then they have a few, maybe like four or five local examples, but they're mostly state incentives that are in this database. So if you want to see what incentives are currently in play in your state, or in other states to get examples, you can find them there. So that is a fantastic resource. And I was so excited to, to find that one. Step four is to review and revise zoning ordinances if needed to allow for electric vehicle charging stations. So zoning ordinances by your city or in some cases your county, we just need to make sure that they're not prohibiting the installation of EV charging stations, or at least maybe they make it easier where you want it to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, so, and included in step four as part of that 
review of your zoning ordinances as planners, you know, you can really have an impact there. But if there's if you discover that some of your zoning ordinance language prohibits the installation of EV charging stations or makes it really hard, consider recommending revising that language to make it, you know, uh, easier to install those. Similarly, in step five, we have you do the same thing, review and revise your parking regulations to require EV charging spaces. So a lot of parking regulations with cities and counties will say, okay, you have to have one or two parking spaces per X amount of units or people or what or square footage, depending on the use of the land, the land use. But a lot of times, and in most cases, there's even no mention of EV parking spaces or EV charging parking spaces. So you could actually recommend changing the parking regulations to say, okay, for every X amount of square foot of commercial development, you know, one to two or even more EV charging stations or locations are required and X amount of just spaces are required for EVs. And then maybe even have preferential parking for those spaces, which we talk about in step six, which is encourage provision of preferential parking for EVs. So think about like if you've got all these restaurants and shopping uh, in a downtown Main Street area and you've got on-street parking, you know, perhaps allow EVs to have that on-street parking right up front to encourage the purchase of EVs, uh, whether you charge for it or not. You know, and maybe that's an opportunity to generate some money, you know, some of that revenue. Maybe you have EV charging on street. Okay. So they have preferential parking and they get charging, but to park there, they have to be charging and you can earn revenue off of that. So something to think about as well. And I've even seen like in London, they've even got EV charging in the light poles as well. Uh, we talked about that before, Kirsten, in one of our smart corridor studies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great alternative. Um, you know, some of these EV charging stations can get a little bulky and it's really hard to fit them on street. But I think as the technology continues to evolve and EVs become more prominent, you're going to start to see the charging stations become more and more efficient. I mean, we're already seeing that with the with them being in the light poles. But what a great use of space where, you know, you only have one light pole and it has all these multiple functions. Yeah, yeah. And there are even some places that even provide free parking on all city streets for uh, electric vehicles or alternative fuel vehicles if they're registered with the city. Like I saw in that database, okay, I saw that the city of New Haven in Connecticut does that. They allow free parking on all city streets for uh, hybrid electric vehicles and alternative fuel vehicles. And maybe you can do it for just plug-in electric or something. So that's something to think about. Step seven is to identify and include EV charging infrastructure projects and or policies in your Metropolitan Transportation Plan. So what is a Metropolitan Transportation Plan for you transportation enthusiasts out there, or those of you that are new to transportation planning? Um, a metropolitan transportation plan, also referred to as a long-range transportation plan or a regional transportation plan, is federally required 
for entities that have been designated as an MPO, a Metropolitan Planning Organization. And so you have to plan at least 20 years out transportation projects and uh, forecast revenue to pay for some of those projects at least so that they can be planned and programmed for the future. And those transportation projects cover a wide variety of projects. Yeah. And I just want to mention on this step seven, um, the infra grants for USDOT uh, were recently due. They were due on March 19th. And one of the category areas in there is innovation. And this is one of the suggested uh, strategies for innovative technologies is to incorporate EV charging infrastructure into your project. Uh, so this is definitely something that the feds are encouraging in uh, your plan and project development. That's a great point. And actually, I will take that opportunity to mention two things. One, our next, no, episode four, I believe, is going to be on steps to conducting a an infra or build grant application through the USDOT. Uh, and the other thing I will plug is that Kirsten Moat here, my fabulous co-host, was just interviewed by the Washington Post on what makes infra grants competitive. So I just got to get a little shout out Oh, stop it, Kelly. Stop (laughs) it. I'm embarrassed. (laughs) Say more. Say more. So that, by the way, should be coming out in a week or so. So we're excited. That's actually the second time we've been interviewed by the Post. So we're excited about that. Um, Okay, where was I? Step seven. So... uh, we talked about what an MPO is and an MTP. Uh, there's different types of projects that you can program in these plans. So these EV charging infrastructure projects can be programmed in here into these plans. At a minimum, you can say, okay, here's these EV opportunity zones or deficient or need zones. And this is where we think the investments should be prioritized for electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And the other thing is, is you could even consider uh, evaluating EV lanes. So where you have, say, a lane along the interstate right now, you have, say, for instance, HOV lanes where two or in some cases, three or more people have to be in the car to be able to use that lane. Perhaps there's consideration of EV lanes where you have to be an electric vehicle to be in that lane. That could be a nice little incentive and another revenue generator because you could charge to use that lane, just like some charge to use, you know, these HOV lanes or express lanes. Maybe you charge to use the EV lane and that's another way to make up some of the revenue that you would have gotten from the motor fuel tax. So uh, the policies, you know, that you want to include There's several of them. You can include, you know, the EV opportunity zones we mentioned in step three, the zoning ordinance revisions we talked about looking at in step four, the parking regulation revisions in step five, and preferential parking for EVs or EV charging in step six. All of those policies that we looked at, here's where you memorialize them in your plan so that they get some legs and don't sit on the shelf and go further. Uh, you can also see where some of the partnerships are happening. So not just the laws, looking at where the laws are, but where are some partnerships? And the Department of Energy has a Clean Cities Coalition that has a wealth of resources and information available. And that's at cleancities.energy.gov. Again, that'll be in the show notes. 
Step eight is to evaluate the potential impact on EVs on the motor fuel tax collection. So we've already talked about that a lot, but just figuring out, okay, what's the impact on the revenue going to be? Or if if anything, at least just recognizing that there's going to be an impact. And then not only consider grants from USDOT, like Kirsten mentioned, the infra grant, uh, but also there's grant opportunities from the U.S. Department of Energy. So definitely take a look at those. And the Clean Cities Coalition that I mentioned before even mentions funding opportunities on their site as well at cleancities.energy.gov forward slash funding opportunities. And um, so there's a lot of good information there. You can partner with private entities such as electric power company providers and foundations. I know that there's a lot of that going on as well. Um, so looking up some of those partnerships that we talked about before in the Clean Cities uh, database would be good. And um, another good starting point for some potential funding sources is Federal Highway Administration's Alternative Fuel Corridor website at the altfueltoolkit.org that I mentioned earlier. It's a few years old, but it is a good starting point for information there too. So to recap, eight steps to planning for electric vehicles. Uh, Step one, know what you have. Step two, know what you need and consider equity, as always. Step three, consider EV opportunity zones and incentives. Step four, take a look at your zoning ordinances. Step five, look at your parking regulations. Step six, consider preferential parking. Step seven, Uh, Include projects and policies in your metropolitan transportation plan. Step eight, look at funding considerations and implications. All right. Well, those were uh, very detailed steps. (laughs) I think uh, (laughs) I think that no, I think it's really great information. And, you know, the whole point of this is if you are interested in implementing electric vehicle charging or you uh, want to. Uh, encourage more electric vehicles in your community. This is this is a great resource for you to kind of get started. So, yeah, Kelly, which which one of these steps do you think is going to be the most challenging? You know, I think the one that will be the most challenging, but also the most exciting, is step three: the opportunity zones. Um, you know, it's one thing to be able to say, "Here's where we think." charging should go. It's another thing to incentivize folks to install them there. But I think if we can say, hey, look, these are some different incentives. This is the impacts of these. This might be a revenue generator, you know, all these different things and really inform and educate the decision makers, you know, about the possibilities. I think it could really go a long way in moving the needle. And and that's what our job is as planners, right? Is to give the information to the decision makers and elected officials and powers that be, you know, and make sure they know what the opportunities are. Yeah, I, th- I think you're exactly right. I mean, um, the most reward comes from the most work, right? Yeah. And I think if you really put a strategy out there to create this opportunity zone, which is going to take a lot of coordination mm-hmm. with whatever jurisdiction you're working within um, to create that and get it into their ordinances, um, it, it's going to take some time. But I think it will be the most rewarding and uh, will probably result in in the most benefits and the most activity. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kirsten, 
when do you think you will get an electric vehicle? If 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 all these EV charging stations that President Biden has committed to installing, and I think it was what was it by twenty twenty five or twenty thirty? Yeah, yeah, so, something yeah. like that. When do you think you would get it? Um, so let's see. I've had my car for almost seven years. Oh my! I have never kept a car that long. That's so sad <laughs> of me. But 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 because I haven't been driving this last year, like mm-hmm. I still have a hun- un- under a hundred thousand miles. Um, so probably in the next five to eight years, just okay. depending on how much I drive. So you think um, you'll keep that car another five to eight years? That yeah. is awesome. I am so proud of you. I cannot do that. I am so sad. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm, well, I'm really enjoying not having a car payment. <laughs> I know, right? So my last car was the longest I can remember ever keeping a car, which sadly was only um, three and a half to four. No, four years. Four and a half. Yeah. No, it was four and a half years. That's the longest. No, it was four years. My bad. Four years. That's the longest I've ever kept a car. So sad. Yeah, well, we also have another car in our household that we're currently paying a note on. So mm-hmm. I think it'll I think it'll be after after that one gets paid off. Yeah. Um, but I've already started looking, and <laughs> I I wasn't like super excited about it when I first saw it. But now the more I look at it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, Ford Mach E. It's their Mustang. Oh, and yeah. it's fully electric. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah, it's the it's the racer back. Um I'm I'm pretty excited to see it in person. Um but it sounds like there's going to be a lot of options coming out. Yeah. So, I'm going to kind of hold off for a few years and and see what happens and see see what my options are. You know what? Like so I just bought a new car, not electric. Shame on me, but I just bought a new car a few months back. But when I was looking for that car, I was looking at electric vehicle options, but I have two kids that are messy as all get out and we do road trips and stuff. So I thought, okay, what would be a cool, I don't want a minivan. I've had one of those for, I don't want one of those again. So what would I get? And unfortunately it hasn't been released yet. I wish it had, or at least not in the US, but the Volkswagen, the old hippie van that they had, and now they're coming out with this like really cool electric version, but I, it's not coming out for what, like another year or so or something like that? Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Probably. It wasn't going to be out in time. And because I can only keep a car for so long before I lose interest, I was like, okay, maybe I'll get that next time. But so I probably, I'll keep the car I have probably at least four years, maybe five. And then after that, I'll probably get an electric, I'll get an, my next car will be an electric vehicle. And, and who knows? Maybe you can just do like an electric vehicle subscription. Right. Where you can get a different car all the time, just depending on what your need is. There you go. See, that would be perfect for people like me that, you know, lose interest in their car so quickly. Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Well, thanks for tuning in and check out our next episode, 14 Steps to Planning for Rising E-Commerce. We think you'll find your time very well spent. Uh, We also have a cheat sheet for all eight steps from this episode on our website available for free download at www.modernmobilitypartners.com.
At some point, we'll start interviewing folks that have done some innovative stuff to address these type of challenges. So if you're interested in participating in our podcast, please let us know. And you can find us and our contact information at our website, modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe and even better review our podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Over and out. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.